have the next slide. Uh, I put this in here because it's possible that you could sit here tonight and not actually hear a word I say. Or it's possible that you could be here and you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. What are you going to wear, for, wear to work tomorrow? What am I wearing? Um, what shoes do I have on? Um, what are your kids doing? And this morning I had a graphic example of it. So I got up at five and um, fed, I actually didn't feed the dog because he didn't come down. Had coffee, da-da-da-da-da, sitting there. And my laptop dies. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's fine, it's fine. So I check that it's plugged in, and I turn it off and turn it on, but it won't turn on. And so I wait until 6 o'clock, and I hear Phil get up to go to the toilet, and so then it's justifiable for me to run upstairs and say to him, my laptop's died, and I need to do a PowerPoint, I need to use yours, what's your password? And he goes, no, it won't have died. Look, I'll turn on the light, bring your laptop up, and I'll check it. And so I take it all up, and he goes, no, it's the battery. And I go, no, it isn't, because I've had it plugged in since five. And he said, no, it's the battery. So get back down, and I discover that I did have it plugged into the plug box. But the plug box was not plugged in. <laughs> so he put the plug box back, but he didn't actually plug it in, which is a bit of a trick, I thought. But when I prayed about that. <laughs> when I prayed and said, oh Lord, I guess sometimes I'm not plugged in. And tonight, you could be hearers of the word, but not do it. You could plug into the plug box and hear here for 45 minutes listening to me and then having some awesome worship and go home unchanged. And then actually I've wasted my time, you've wasted your time, and we're unchanged. And the world around us is unchanged. And then we're not citizens of heaven at all. We're just citizens of earth. So I really challenge you to plug in because I truly believe that this is a word from the Lord for tonight. So let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for the honor of speaking tonight. Thank you for all the amazing, incredible things that we share together because we can come into your presence, that you're always with us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word. Thank you for Melinda's word, for the encouragement. Father, I do ask for your anointing over tonight. Lord, the dreams and the vision of the altar calls. Father, I pray that you would bring them to be. Lord, we plug into you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'd like to um, start in Exodus 33, which is a story about Moses. And it's 33, verse 10. I'm going to read it in the message. Because for me, if I don't understand the Bible, then I read the message. Makes it nice and plain and easy to understand. So Moses used to take the tent and set it up outside the camp some distance away. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who sought God would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and it went like this. When Moses would go to the tent, all the people would stand at attention. Each man would take his position at the entrance to his tent with his eyes on Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of God descended to the entrance of the tent, and God spoke with Moses. All the people would see the pillar of cloud at the entrance to the tent, stand at attention, and then bow down and worship each man at the entrance to his tent. And God spoke with Moses face to face as neighbors speak to one another. I'm just going to read that bit again. 
And God spoke with Moses face to face as neighbors speak to one another. When he would return to the camp, his attendant, the young man Joshua, stayed. He didn't leave. Moses said to God, look, you tell me, lead this people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well and you're special to me. If I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way I will continue being special to you. Don't forget this is your people, your responsibility. And God said, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. If your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else will we know that we're special, I and your people, among all other people on this planet Earth? And God said to Moses, all right, just as you say, this also I will do, for I know you well, and you are special to me. I know you by name. And Moses said, please let me see your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass right in front of you. I'll call out the name God right before you. I'll treat well whomever I want to treat well, and I'll be kind to whoever I want to be kind. And I really love that scripture because the, my favorite bit is that God spoke to Moses like a neighbor. And I think that that is what God has the uh, design for us. So can I have the next slide, please? Now, to know is actually, in the English, only one word, know. I could say, I know the Prime Minister. I could say, I know Anne. I know Greg. And I know my husband. One word. But actually, in the Greek, there's 14 meanings. And there's a big difference between knowing someone as an acquaintance and yada which is knowing, perceiving, revealed, to be instructed. Basically, it's like intimate. The, the verb yada is the one that God uses when he said he knows Moses. If we don't pray much during the week, unless something goes wrong, if we just turn up to church on Sunday and if we're a bit more spiritual, we go to life group, then we don't actually yada God at all. We just, I can't say the other one, genosco, genosco. We just genosco him. We're an acquaintance. So yes, we're saved, but he doesn't yada us. He doesn't know me then. He doesn't know what my desires are. He doesn't know what my dreams are. He doesn't know what my fears are because I don't tell him, because I don't hang out with him. Yada implies a hanging out Going to the tent of meeting, Moses actually got up and went to the tent. And in my experience, I'm finding God doesn't talk to me much in bed anymore. And I was interested to hear Simon's message where he said God was telling him to get up. Same here. And I think it's because it shows a commitment. It's like Moses went to the tent. God wants me to go to my couch. It shows an intent that I want to hear him. Next slide, please. Now, this is, I'm just going to get educational for a minute. This is what I do in my, in my non-church time. Okay, so this is a very fancy system by a, by a theorist called Broffenbrenner. And it's called the ecological system. And basically, just stay with me for a minute. Basically, all it's saying is that we're not, we don't live for ourselves, that we're in a whole lot of system. Basically, it has the individual child in the middle, the microsystem, the exosystem, and the macrosystem. Now, I actually don't think it's true 
but it's got an interesting side concept to it that I want to pull out. So if you check out this board for a minute, this is how I think God has it. So in the middle is God. Then the microsystem is, here's the individual. So that's each of us in a vertical one-to-one relationship with God, right? And we could say, if we talked in our language, we could say that's a microsystem. And then there's a macro system, and the macro system would be church and family. And then there's the mezzo system, which is New Zealand and the world. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is that in all, and I've sort of been asking God about what does a citizen of heaven look like? What does it look like to be in community? What does it look like to be a Christian in 2000s? Totally different than what it might have been to be a Christian in the Middle Ages or, you know, even 100 years ago. And he told me that a citizenship incorporates all of these systems. Now, You could be here with me till 10 o'clock tonight if you wanted, (laughs) because there's enough stuff for at least till then in this whole go through the system. But tonight, I'm mainly going to focus on our individual vertical relationship with God as citizens of heaven, touching a little bit into community and then go further afield. Okay? All right. Next slide, please. Can you go to the next one? We need to centralize God. You notice that God, Moses made God central to his very existence. I love how that drop goes down and you see the ripples going out from that. Matthew 6.34 says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Could you just play the tuk-tuk YouTube, please? Just hold it for one sec, though. Um, I want to share this story about um, how incredibly hectic Phil's in my life has been for the last 18 months. And you might think this has no relevance, but it does. So in the last um, 18 months, we have moved cities, sold our house, sold two cars, had a car blow up. We've gone to Thailand. We've had a child leave, so we've had empty nest syndrome. We've had a major illness, month in hospital. We've made new friends. We've both started university. We've left a job, we've started a business, nearly shut down the business, and then reshaped the business. Now we're business partners. We have started a new life group, started a new church. Is that... Oh yeah, and we have to put a new toilet in, because <laughs> we've got bad pipes in our house. <laughs> and the reason I'm sharing that is sometimes it's felt a bit overwhelming, because that's a lot of life changes in an 18-month period. And at Mount, Mountain Movers, um, when, when StudyLink um, changed their rules the first time, I really freaked out, and I rang Greed and said, I have to come and see you today. And said, StudyLink have changed all the rules, and it was kind of mean, blah, 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 and trusted him. But I had that moment of panic, because it meant I had to change everything. And then when the national budget came in and they changed their StudyLink rules again, it was like, not quite so much of a panic. And at Mountain Movers, the Lord said, I said to the Lord, wow, there's a lot of life in 18 months here. 
It's enough for 10 years, really. And the Lord said, well, where do you think I am? And I said, well, well, you're with me, and I'm with you. And he gave me this picture, and I'll show you a picture. I found it, a very similar picture, an image. And he said that I was in a six-lane, we were in a six-lane highway, but I wasn't on my own. I was a little girl holding my father's hand, and he's going, stop now. Just wait. There's a car coming. Just come threading through the traffic. And I just want you to have a look at this traffic because this is what it's like in Thailand. We've been on one of these, and I was sure I was going to die on the first day of our holiday. (laughs) But our lives are very fast now. you can stop it now you get the idea and that's what it can feel like for our lives sometimes because we're not in a nice insulated little bubble that just means that we can just sit on our couches well most of us anyway not doing anything and that's definitely not the next slide trying to think of something spiritual to say about Batman, but nothing comes to mind. (laughs) Okay, let's go to communing with God. This is the picture he gave me. This is how it can be for us in the 2012, is actually walking along as a child with our hand in our father's, and then he directs our path. But only if we go to the tent of meeting, and only if we centralize God. Because when we're putting work and other things first, then we're literally not showing him that commitment and calling him into that relationship. The next slide, please. I've, I think that our relationship with God is, can be like an ongoing conversation with God. That for me starts in the morning when I get up to my tent of meeting, which is on the couch. And then... It carries on during the day. A conversation is very reciprocal. You notice with Moses that he contended with God. He actually 
contends with God for the people of Israel. And later on, when I speak about the macro system and the mezzo system, I really believe that there's a call to serve our local community, the widows and the orphans and the poor, that uh, in the new church that I believe God is forming for the 2000s, I don't think we've really grasped that yet. But looking at the micro system of us and God, we're talking about a reciprocal two-way relationship. So during the day, what do you want me to do here, Lord? What about this? What about that? So it's not like God is someone we go to in a building, but if we're being the church, then we're being with him all the time. I want to share a little story. This is a true story. So last year, um, I moved up to Wellington first before Phil because I quit my job (laughs) in the December of the year before because I didn't like it very much and I'd had enough. And I really was sure that our house was going to sell very, very quickly. So I left and the house didn't sell quickly. (laughs) So I lolled around all summer and then thought, ooh, ooh, it's late January. I better help pay the mortgage then. And Phil said, well, maybe you should go up to Varsity now and commute. And so I said, yes, great idea. So off I went. I think he thought I'd say no, but I did actually go. (laughs) So I got an apartment in Brooklyn. And on April the 22nd last year, the Lord woke me at two in the morning and said, get up, I want to tell you something. So I get up, I put the kettle on, and I vividly remember the point, walking back over to get the coffee cup. And he said, I'd like to send you to Pacifica. And I thought he was like, I want to send you to a Fiji island. (laughs) like okay and he goes no 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 to Pacifica and I was like well Lord that's okay but I think you might have the wrong house because I'm a white girl from Nelson and I don't know anyone from Pacifica so okay but are you sure you've got the right house and the right girl because it doesn't seem like a very good idea to me and he said will you do it I went well what am I going to do silence No. Will you do it? Okay. Yes, I'll do it. Three weeks later to the day in my job, I got asked a project manager, governance and management project in Pacifica and Paurua. And I said yes, because God had already informed me, right? And I really had no idea at all (laughs) what to say, what to do. I didn't know one Pacifica language, let alone a word, had no idea at all about anything. But I knew that God had sent me there. So I launched into this project, and I was absolutely terrified most of the time. Everyone told me that no, none of the Pacifica people would listen to me because I was a Palangi girl. And they'd think that I was the expert, and so they would resist, and they might nod, and they might go, mm-hmm, but actually they wouldn't be with me at all. But I had to walk every single millimeter with God because I was totally out of my depth. I had to have an ongoing conversation with God and ask him for his wisdom because I had none (laughs) at all. And so everything in that project was birthed from him. And that was when my intensive journey of journeying with God as a well person began. Because when I was sick, I didn't have a life. I had the children who were growing up, and I had Phil. I had their lives. And one of the things Zoe said after I got healed was, about six months later, it's really weird, Mum, because you've got a life now. You're not just living on mine. So true. 
But for a couple of years after I got here, I was so fickle and unfocused because I couldn't hear his voice anymore because I wasn't used to hearing and discerning his voice in the busyness. Whereas last year when I was on my own, it was really good because I had to hear him. So I wanted to share with you about Pacifica because something happened earlier this year. And for me, that was like everything that Greg had been saying about being the church, centralizing God, in an ongoing conversation with God came to be. Okay, so it's the last workshop. So it's a big deal. And I was all prepared. Everything's going quite well. And a woman, a Samoan woman, stood up and said, why do we have to have you, a palangi, taking this? We should have our own people. It should be Samoan for Samoan. And it sort of just gave this bit of a to it. Sort of like an inverted racism or... It just, it wasn't great. And we're like 10 minutes from the end, and I'm like, darn it, 10 minutes from the end. And so I flashed this prayer up to God and said, Lord, you better give me an answer, because I don't know. And out of my mouth came, yeah, that would be great. But actually, they couldn't get anyone else, so they chose me. (laughs) And they all laughed, which was great, because I wouldn't have thought of anything as smart as that to say. So I really knew that God had given it to me to say. And I said, that's my dream, actually, is to build up Samoan PD facilitators so that you don't have to have a palangi. But in the meantime, I'm it. So there's a bit of a silence. And then I'm like, oh, Lord, what do I do now? Because it was, it was ugly. You know, it was tense. And there was just an ugliness in the air. So now we've got five minutes to go, and I'm like, this is an awful end to actually there'd been some great work done by them. And the Lord said, get Moi Moi up and get her to lead Amazing Grace, and then ask Panina to pray. She's the minister's wife. So I said, Moi, Moi, will you get up and and sing? And she said, what do you want me to sing? I said, oh, Amazing Grace. I said, that's because I'm only standing here because of God's grace. And I said, one day I'll tell you my story. And the woman who, you know, didn't want me to be there sort of staring at me intensely like this. So we get up and we stand in a circle and um, she, she leads out an amazing grace. It was like spine chilling. It was just, she had the voice like Tina Turner and Lady Gaga and Madonna all in one. <laughs> it was like, whoa, whoa. Halfway through the song, Everyone is holding hands. There's 14 of us. There's two Palangi and a whole lot of Pacifica. And um, you'll see, it was just so spiritual. Everyone's singing. There's about six-part harmony. It's amazing. And then at the end, there's this big, long silence. And then Panina starts praying in Samoan. I have no idea what she said. I heard my name a couple of times. She starts crying halfway through the prayer. She prays for a good 10, 12 minutes. By the end, there is not a dry eye in the house. And you know when there's an incredible worship time and there's that, like Melinda said, just that silence? It was like that. And I thought, I'm in church. We're being the church in my non-Christian job. And that's what an ongoing Christian conversation with God is like. It was birthed in him. All I had to do was obey. So the consequences sit with God. Get the difference? If it had been my bright idea, I would have been seriously stuffed for not being someone. Next slide. And that means all we have to do is copy. And I love that picture of, you know, the, the little boy 
shaving like his dad. In Exodus 25, 40, God said to Moses, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. When we ask God for his wisdom, he is the ultimate wisdom. He is the ultimate creator. He is the source of all wisdom. So, I'm on this project with Pacifica. I ask God for a methodology. He's the creator. He's asked me to go to them. He must have a, have a um, solution. So he gave me a dream of a methodology, and I've used it. Do you think it worked? Yeah, because the creator of the whole world developed it. So all I have to do is copy it. It's fantastic. All we have to do is copy what God downloads to you when you go to the tent of meeting or when you're going along and you say, Lord, I don't know how to handle this or I don't know how to cross this road. There's a car coming, figuratively. And he'll tell you. So our our life can become one long, obedient response. That's out of Philippians. One long, obedient response. I love that. Psalm 119 says, give me insight so I can do what you tell me. Open my eyes so I can see what you show me of your miracle wonders. What I'm sensing is that when we are being God's children and being the church, there's a reciprocal relationship going on. In Genesis 2, and this is very um, interesting to me, that he created Adam, he created the Garden of Eden, he created the animals. Now, I'm not quite sure of the order of that. There's a bit of debate about that. But what's amazing is in Genesis 2, it says, God put Adam in the garden and then let him name the animals. And he stood back and waited to see what he would name them. And that really struck me because it was like, well, God didn't actually know. That speaks of a two-way relationship between Adam and God. God wanted to see what he would come out with. Just like with our children when we take them somewhere and it's so exciting to see how they'll find it. It's a reciprocal relationship, a two-way relationship between us and God. And he's waiting to hear your response. He's waiting to hear the questions. The Lord says to me totally, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask. We've got to start asking. In every part of our lives. Next slide, please. We've got to go with clean eyes. My Samoan friend Panina says, we were talking about Eero, you know, the education review office coming to review schools and um, preschools. And she said, oh, such and such came. And she said, but I didn't want them there because she said they came with dirty eyes. And I said, oh, what's dirty eyes mean? And she goes, oh, you know, Dirty eyes. And I go, nah, sorry, no idea what dirty eyes means. And she said, it means someone comes and they see with eyes and they're already looking for the dirt. And she said, you do realize, Ra, if you look for the dirt, you'll always find it. As Christians, we need to have clean eyes. And in Philippians, it says, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've heard from me, what you've heard and seen and realized. Do that. 
And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. That's in the message. I love that. So that means when I, when I screw up, if I get it wrong, because it's not a single, single like a mmm, and if I don't get the mmm right, because I do mmm, <laughs> then he makes a harmony out of it. And I'm sort of imagining an orchestra with a whole lot of um, musical notes. And so he pulls it in and he promises to make it good. What an amazing God we serve. I reckon that actually when we have major disasters, often it's because we have not asked God. And we may actually be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because we literally aren't obeying and just copying where he's um, directed us to go. I think it's totally specific. Our days could be highly, a highly specific response to hearing from him in the tent of meeting. Next slide, please. This point is uh, chilled out. We actually need to be chilled out. I love that picture of the dad carrying the little girl asleep. And the scripture that I had for that was, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And the reason I raised it is, when we consider the life that Phil and me have done in the last 18 months, while there's been tiny little moments of anxiousness and um, overwhelmness generally, We're both really chilled out. Normally, Phil's really chilled out and I'm really anxious. (laughs) This time, we're both chilled out. And it's because I know that God has it all in hand because he told us to come here. So we're in Wellington because we've obeyed him. We're at university because he told us to go. So then we can just trust him. Because if he told us to come here, he promises to give us everything we need. One long, obedient response means that we truly do have rest even when we're in six-lane traffic, even when it's horrendously busy. I fought the rest scriptures for a long time because um, I thought, well, I'm not just going to lie around doing nothing, listening. It's not who God made me to be, and I know that. But the rest is a thing of the heart. And it's this chilled outness. It's the same with the Pacifica project. I never got totally anxious about it because I knew God had sent me. So therefore, he's going to give me everything I need. So therefore, why worry about it? Because the consequences are his. Next slide. Our going comes from our being. Our going comes from our being. I used to be such a striver. Years and years of doing, 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 trying, 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 trying to be better, trying to go to church more, trying, trying to be holy. In my family growing up, it was a good thing to be meek and mild and quiet and nice. And I am none of those things (laughs) innately. I don't really do nice. And effectively, what it meant was I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And I certainly didn't feel like I belonged in church. Because the woman had to be quiet and nice and meek. And it wasn't real. But actually, our going comes from our being with God. It comes from a relationship. And the word says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me in this way, just as the scriptures say. When we go to the tent of meeting, 
and we really hang out with God there, then he brims forth his Holy Spirit into our day, into our work settings, with everyone we meet, with everybody we talk to. And I think that learning to hear God's voice is something that the more we practice it, the more we can pick it out. So last Saturday afternoon, I was sitting doing some um, work, and the Lord said, go down to the brewery right now. Now, you might think that's a bit of a weird thing for God to say, but our son-in-law, sort of a son-in-law, he is just starting up a brewery right in the middle of town, and it was their big opening. We'd already been to the first opening, so it was like we weren't going to go to the second. And then I said to the Lord, oh, right now? And he goes, yep. So I jumped in the car, off went down, and I ended up washing beer glasses. (laughs) And that is not something that I ever thought I would do, ever. But there I am carrying the glasses upstairs, washing them, carrying them back down. And, you know, there's a lot of blokes in there buying beer, buying kegs and stuff, you know. And my daughter, our daughter is very beautiful, long blonde hair, like she's really very elegant, and she's pulling beers. And I mumbled to her, I never thought I'd see you do this. She goes, I never thought I'd see you do that either. (laughs) So there we are, barmaids. We're basically barmaids. And when I was upstairs, I was watching all these blokes go back and forth, and I was thinking, Lord, how could they ever know you? How could they ever get to church building the rock? I'm trying to say the rock now. It's safest to say the rock. I'm going to the rock because I'm trying to be the church. It takes a while to change the language, doesn't it? So, Lord, how can I get them to the rock? Because there's such a big gulf between what we do here and me sitting at the tent of meeting on my couch and these blokes buying kegs of beer. And the Lord said, watch and listen. So I went back down with my next tray of glasses. And my daughter says, oh, thanks, mum. And Matt, her partner, says, yeah, thanks. And one of the guys, blokes, said, oh, is this your mum? And my daughter goes, yeah. He goes, good on your mum. That's what families do, eh? And I went, yeah, that's what families do. And when I went back upstairs, I said, Lord, what are you trying to say? And he said, love and kindness and serving transcends any barrier. And you know what? I reckon that was being the church in that brewery just as much as sitting on my couch worshipping God and just as much as being here speaking with you. And we need to open our minds, I think. Because I can remember when I married Phil 27 years ago. Um, <laughs> when he drank beer, I thought he was really, really unchristian for doing that. Because in my family, my parents were strict teetotalers, and I was, thought that was a big sus of him to do that. Things have changed now. Lots of Christians drink. But back 27, 28 years ago, mm-mm-mm. Big difference, eh? We need to be the church, be in relationship with God, and go where he sends us. Next script. Uh, yep. We need to be congruent. McDonald's is McDonald's is McDonald's, wherever you go. When we traveled around Europe with our kids... We all had a competition on an ongoing basis to search for the McDonald's sign. (laughs) And, yeah, I love the vomiting bit (laughs) because it does actually make me sick now. (laughs) James says, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You can do the next slide. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. 
but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Can I have the next slide, please? So that means to me, I think that our inner life has to match our outer life. Our inner life is in the tent of meeting. Our inner life is when we're uh, conversing and walking with God. Our inner life is when we're here corporately worshipping. That's the inner life. The outer life is washing glasses in the brewery, lecturing, whatever you do in your job, relating to your family. We need to be congruent. That means we are the same wherever we we go. To be a citizen means we are being the church whether we're at the rock, whether we are at the swimming pool, whether we are at work, we're always aimed to be the same. It's not always easy to achieve. And this morning, our son-in-law left the cupboard door open, and I didn't see it, and reached for the dog biscuits and dogged my head up on it and swore really, really badly. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's not very congruent. It's always worse when you sin on the day you're preaching, I reckon. (laughs) It's like, oh, I've done it. (laughs) But what we've got to do is pick ourselves back up and go, Lord, I'm really, really sorry. That definitely wasn't congruent. (laughs) I just didn't want you to have the wrong idea. (laughs) Where to go in community. Next slide. This is some of the Samoan teachers and children that I've been working with. And uh, they're dancing the siva, and in the downstairs team, that's the first um, major, really, educational activity they've done that's emerged from the emergent curriculum. And Panina is the one in the purple on the side. (laughs) And the reason I share that is that, I tell you what, for a white Palangi girl from Nelson, being out in the Samoan community, going in in the cloud, if you like, under God's headship, is that they now call me the white mum of the Aungamata. They call me Osu. I'm their sister. And I love them. I can't wait to go. I count down the days till I go there. It's the highlight of my week. It's the only real picture of community that I've ever really had because they think collectively. They think of summum boninum, which is the overall good or the greater good. They're really great at community. And as citizens of heaven, it's something that I believe God is going to lead us into, especially at the rock, into a whole new definition of what church is and a whole new definition of what it looks like for us to be in community with one another. Next slide, please. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I added this in because I think that one of the things we fight in the Western world is being individualistic. And if we're not careful, we can become tremendously isolated. And we can think in boxes and compartments. So it's like I go to church on a Sunday, I do this, and I do that, and basically it becomes all about only our individual relationship with God. And there are people who believe it's not necessary to meet together. But Hebrews 25 says we must not neglect it, and we must not give it up. 
And that means pressing through when we want to run away and actually purposefully press in. Because if we truly saw each other as also brothers and sisters, then we wouldn't skive off. And one of the demonic strongholds over Wellington and New Zealand, I believe, is the spirit of isolation. And if we don't guard, then we can live very little lives that neglect our brothers and our sisters in true fellowship. And I believe we don't really have a good understanding yet of what God has in mind for community. And I think one of the reasons he sent me to Pacifica was to learn about it. Next slide. Now, we need to celebrate. Remember in uh, the sermon I did, there were four pillars that we were to put up in the morning, and that was thankfulness, praising, declaring, and then blessing the Lord, literally empowering him to be blessed in our lives. As we do that, when we come together, then we can celebrate. Life can be tremendously exciting when we live our lives as one long, obedient response out of relationship with God. I just love the little boy, you know, on the right there. He just looks so... (laughs) Next slide, please. This is how I think in the Western church we see Christianity. It's like we think we can all just have our own guitar. (laughs) And just do our own thing. But I think a sense of the community is this next YouTube clip. And I don't want you to play it all as much as this is one of my favorite songs right now. Just... The first sort of 20 seconds, please. there for a minute. That's how I believe we've all got our own little part to play. When you really look at this, and the whole song's amazing, like soon the guy starts singing, he's got a voice to die for, and then the woman, um, that's Kimbra with blonde hair, by the way, those who, no, 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 who is it? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so they've got the guy at the end with the beard, and he just goes, all the way through. And then they've all got this tiny part to play. All of us here today all have our own little part to play in one guitar. And what you do will be totally different to what I do. What you do will be different from what you do, from what you do will be different from what you do. But if we all look at our strengths and the gifting God gives, then just like them, they're not fighting for the guitar. If they fought for ownership of the guitar, four of them would fall over because if you look at their hands, they're all entangled. And that just negates territorialness, doesn't it? I had a dream. I wasn't going to share this, but I really feel God wants me to say it. I had a dream about entering into the, um, the temple. 
And for me, I dream going up these really big stairs and run along all these corridors, and I come to this outer courtroom. And sometimes I meditate it and sometimes I pray it. But it's always this outer courtroom, and people are praising and chatting and talking, and it's a bit like, you know, the beginning of church when you don't start with a sermon. And people are milling around, and there's some praise songs. And in this particular time, there was a woman, because there's this long, thin, narrow door, and that leads into the throne room. And there was this woman barring it like this. And I was like, no, I really want to go in to the throne room because I really, really want to see my Lord. And she goes, no. And I go, no, no, no. (laughs) You can come as well. She goes, no, I don't go in there. And I go, no, no, but, but we need to go to the throne room of God because we need to go and sit with him. And she wouldn't let me in. And when I woke up and I asked God about it, he said, that's what it's like when we look at someone and think, oh, they're really good at that. Well, who does he think he is doing that? Or I'm more qualified than her to do that. That's territorialness. And the Lord has really spoken to me that it kills our sense of community. And it kills living with joy and freedom in the midst of one long obedient response. And in the altar call tonight, if you don't know who you are in God, then tonight's the night to ask. If you can't honestly say that you know God's voice, tonight's the night to ask. Because it took me being crippled with dark sunglasses on, on an oxygen tube up my nose, spending 70% of my life in hospital because I was so stubborn, I reckon, before finally, one day, I said to God, this sucks. And he goes, I was wondering how long you're going to take to tell me. (laughs) And I was like, it was okay to tell God how I really felt. But the honest truth is some of you don't know what God's voice sounds like. So you can't recognize it. Tonight's the night to be straight up about that and say, I don't know it, but I want to. I want to. And God is standing there like a dad, waiting to take your hand so that you can hear him. So he can send you to wherever you're meant to be going, whether it's Pacifica or who knows what he has for you. But the thing is, only you can do what he has called you to do. Nobody else can do it. Kurt can't step into Simon's shoes. Because only God knows what he wants Simon to do. And that path is well ordained. The Lord gave me a prophecy to share tonight. This is the last slide. And it was this. I will order your steps if you ask for the map. I will walk with you if you ask me to come. I will warn you if you turn to listen. I will know you if you sit and commune with me. I will speak with you if you turn to listen. I will be found of you if you seek me. I will dream with you if you commit your sleep with me. You will see me if you open your eyes. And I believe that that's all for us. It wasn't just for me. And God is standing here tonight waiting for you to make that choice, to ask him into every part of your life. There's two parts 
to tonight's altar call. And the first part is that if you do not know God's voice, then I want you to be gutsy enough in this first song to put your hand up. Because I believe that there's people around you that God has ordained where you sat tonight. I've been praying all week that wherever you sit, that you didn't sit there by chance, that you'd actually be sitting right where you are. Because we're your usu. And I believe that he wants you to let the people know. You can go quiet if you want. (laughs) And say, will you pray for me? Because I want to hear God's voice in my day today. I want you to be honest. This is a time to be straight up. And please don't waste the opportunity. And the second part, and I'll call you for this, is that I saw people standing up here getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Drenched. Poured out Holy Spirit up here. And I believe, I said to the Lord, can they stay in their seats for that bit? And he said, no. Because if you want to live a life out of relationship with God and you want to live your life as one long obedient response, you have to get out of your seat and you have to seek it. We have to seek him. He says, if you seek me, I will be found of you. I believe that God wants to fill people with the Holy Spirit tonight. This will be the first time for some of you. This will be the night you look back and say, that was the night, 28th of July, that I first, 29th of July, that I first heard God's voice. 